In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament. We could begin our meditation reading these celebrated words of our Lord that strike at the heart of our discipleship. Following him, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Our Lord reveals, he doesn't use that phrase, but the concept is certainly this. He is a road map. A map indicates the roadway to reach a destination. The destination here is happiness. Eternal happiness that begins here on earth is not perfect, but it's real, and it can improve, and it culminates in heaven. But he's not just a road map. He's a road map and a roadway. I am the true way that leads to life. And you need to traverse a way. And the geographical section of this way is my own heart. And the steps I take are deeds of love. The more deeds of love, the more I approach the destination of life. Another word for life is holiness, sanctity. The topic of this meditation is on Saint Jose Maria. And you notice that I began with reading a quotation from our Lord that he is the way. And how does Saint Jose Maria fit into this quotation? When we contemplate Saint Jose Maria, his witness, his writings, it's not about Saint Jose Maria, it's about our Lord that he is a saint, number one. And what is a saint? I'm going to quote a document written by Pope Benedict on the Word of God. He says that one way to meditate on the gospel is to meditate on the lives of the saints, because what is a saint? A saint is someone who has duplicated the life of Jesus. Perfectly, no, but they have. And the church has made a solemn declaration that that person has actually, heroically, faithfully reflected the gospel. And providentially for us, Pope Benedict identified St. Jose Maria as an example of discipleship. 
that meditating on his life and his writings will help us translate the gospel in ordinary life. So we're very grateful to God that that has happened. And we're grateful to God for this present exhortation because the teachings of St. Jose Maria are transmitted very clearly by Pope Francis, even though he doesn't explicitly quote him. And so we ask our Lord, well, Lord, what do you want us to see in this particular saint? Since this is a formative activity of Opus Dei, he is one of the go-to people. What do you want us to see? And I don't want to say something out of line. There's two reasons to meditate on the writings and the life of St. Jose Maria. One is that he's a saint. Number two, he's received a message. And I say this respectfully, but I'd say the second reason is the first reason we should take a special look at him, the message he received. Why these apologies and these disclaimers, because standard procedure that you contemplate the life of a saint. But I would say in this particular case, because he's a founder, and a special founder, and maybe your reaction, and it sounds arrogant, well, that's because you're an Opus Dei, you're saying a special founder. Every founder is special. What do you have against St. Ignatius? Or what do you have against uh, St. John of the Cross? Or what do you have against St. Dominic? I mean, they're all founders. St. Benedict, the father of uh, Western monasticism. Founders are founders. They have been recipients of special inspirations of the Holy Spirit for the good of the church. And on behalf of evangelization, it's about the message. This kind of message has not been delivered since the ascension of our Lord. One may say, this is a stretch, you know, the church is over 2,000 years old, and you're saying this message has not been delivered since the ascension of our Lord, because our Lord said before he rose to heaven, preach the gospel to all nations. And please, you know, don't take me literally, maybe, maybe saints have had this kind of inspiration, but for example, St. Benedict, who is the father of Western monasticism, or St. Basil, who's father of Eastern monasticism, they received subsets of that big message before Jesus ascended into heaven. All right, preached the gospel to all nations by founding a monastic order for the East. All right, preached the gospel to all nations by founding a monastic order for the West. Preached the gospel to all nations, St. Francis of Assisi, because you're going to be a preaching order for the poor. Uh, St. Dominic, uh, you're, this is a subset of the uh, Divine Commission, and you're going to focus on education of the clergy and on preaching the gospel in a more profound way. St. Maria receives a message to bring Christ into the heart of the modern world, and that's why he got shaken up. 
because my American pragmatism says to myself, why get shaken up? You've been praying over 10 years. Now he get, you finally get an answer. Now you're shaken up. What do you expect? You've been restless and agitated since you were a teenager when you saw the footsteps of the snow. And those footsteps in the snow delivered a message. God wants something of you. I'm going to be a priest, but that's not the main message. That's a way of being available for the message, but it's not the message. And, I mean, he put in a lot of prayer. All afternooners, all nighters, lots of pilgrimages, lots of penance. And finally gets the message. And he has a knee-jerk reaction and drops to his knees. And he said it frightened him. Well, I, I don't know, I'd be kind of frightened too if I received a message and I was just a kid. At my age, someone who's 26 years of age is a kid. And he receives the message and he's supposed to bring Christ in the heart of the modern world and he's essentially thrown out of his home archdiocese. It's kind of hard to believe that. And he's destitute. Close to it anyway. And he said I got, he had nothing going for him. Just youth and a good sense of humor. And I would say, maybe by way of analogy, I probably could speak on behalf of everybody here. We have a devotion to Our Lady of Fatima, a very special Marian intervention. And we are very much aware that two of the three children who received the vision and the message from the Blessed Mother, two of them are saints. One probably will become a saint, but she died relatively recently, late 90s, in her late 90s. Are we interested in the life of those little kids? The, you know, I think one died at eight, one died at nine, maybe younger, and the church canonized them. Yeah, of course, we're not going to sneeze at, at saints, especially little kids who become saints. But I think maybe I could speak for you as well. Probably... I wouldn't be surprised if someone dropped on your coffee table in your living room the life of St. Francisco, who died at age eight. Probably you wouldn't read it, you know, unless your wife threatened not to cook for you anymore. You probably wouldn't read it. Well, I don't know, you know, maybe it's not that exciting, you know, the, the life of a seven-year-old saint uh, who's barely reached the use of reason. Because what's interesting here is what Our Lady said. And if someone put on your coffee table, okay, the visions that have never been revealed and have been recorded on behalf of San Francisco or Jacinta, you probably would be much more inclined to read that because those are messages from the Blessed Mother than the life of their sanctity. The point I'm trying to make here, in the case of St. Jose Maria, his sanctity is interesting, just like any saint. But what's of special interest is the message he received. This divine message, where we make an act of faith, that God delivered a message. And I remember his successor, not his immediate successor, just so we don't mix up prelates, we call him now Don Javier. And I remember a few years ago now, not that long ago, probably eight years ago, in this big center of Opus Dei in, in Rome, where they train young men to become priests, the big living room. And in this living room, there is a map of the world called Mappa Mundi, Latin. It was a gathering for 
heads of Opus Dei in different countries. And I was at that gathering, and we were looking at the map. And some, some people were from Poland, one person was from Russia, one person was from Slovenia, one person was from France, representative of South American countries, and they're looking at the map. And the older guys, me being one of the older guys, saying, well, you know, this map has changed. There is a certain color that corresponds to actual centers of Opus Dei. So a country has a center of Opus Dei, it gets painted, let's just say blue. Maybe you have a problem with blue, let's just say brown. You know, blue has special connotations here, so we'll say brown, all right? And those that don't have a center of Opus Dei are white. And I would say, and guys my age would say, well, listen, you know, that map is a lot more brown than it was when I was here uh, a few decades ago. And even a few decades ago, we'd, ooh, and ah, well, it's in Africa now. And now it's in all the former communist countries that were satellite countries of the Soviet Union. And so the prelate walked in, and he said, my sons, have you contemplated what's happened? I don't know. We weren't. We are just talking and yucking it up. And he said, you know, just reflect a little bit. I mean, he wasn't, you know, giving us a lecture, but he, was, he saw us looking at the map. And he said, reflect on this. This was madness on October 2nd, 1928, bringing Christ into the heart of the world. This was unprecedented. And he said, now it's not so outlandish, is it? He says, you're 75 men representing different parts of the world. He said, this is a miracle. The point was not a triumphalistic, hey, listen, you know, we're, we're winning the game here. Basically, we were there just to study the new evangelization because it's not smooth sailing, as you know and as I know. And he was saying, listen, be optimistic and have a lot of faith. This system works. The system is called Jesus Christ. When our Lord gives us this roadway, St. Josemaria has given us a specific roadway within the roadway of the teachings of Jesus. And so that's why we take him to heart. There's a quotation somewhere that he's the envelope, and you go to the contents of the envelope, and then you could cast aside the envelope. Maybe he's the one who originated that idea. He's the envelope. What's so special about that message? What does he bring to the table? It's simple, but very challenging. The message is basically a repeat performance of our brothers and sisters of the Christian faith that operated in the first three centuries of the church's history. It's basically the Acts of the Apostles revisited. There's this kind of evangelical or apostolic tension there. Bringing the gospel to others, you cannot distinguish. Who are the priests? You'd almost say, are there any here? And you only know by tradition. You don't know because it's not said explicitly there. The vocabulary was primitive then. And you read those early documents, and you'd almost say, and I'm coming to a point, isn't that not to be anti-priest. I would be eating my own words here, okay? Um, that you would not know. Just by this document, I'm thinking about a number of them. Matter of fact, it's the oldest document describing the church. You would not know that there are priests there. Just by that document alone, you need tradition, you need scripture, 
And, and it's not that, you know, it's ignoring the mass, ignoring the sacraments. It's saying that the lion's share of evangelization was on the shoulders of these ordinary folk in the middle of the world. And it was bare bones. There was no parish center. There's no church halls. It was a capital offense. You'd, be, you'd get killed. And so masses were at people's houses. Classes, RCA, were in people's houses. Talks. You had elders there. Spiritual directors. It spells it out. He says the evangelizers were people in the middle of the world, but they were distinguished by their sanctity. And St. Jose Maria said, enough of hibernation for the laity. Now they are on the front lines. And when he saw that, it was, I mean, he could never win. You know, before the Vatican Council, he was too liberal, and after the Vatican Council, he was too conservative. In fact, they didn't say liberal, they said heretic. So it was kind of, it was way before the age of political correctness. So, you know, they would announce that he, the guy's a heretic, a progressive, you know. He even actually had lay people participating in the Mass. This is what we call now the extraordinary form. He was way ahead of his times. And he says, they bear the lion's share now. And right now we're in an age, and Pope Francis emphasizes that so much, we have to go out to the periphery. Periphery could be at home, at work, neighborhood, because uh, people are not going to come to church. We've got to bring the church to the people. We are the church. Every one of you are the church. And so this sounded like something very new, even though it's as new and old as the gospel. You know, in a time where you didn't see the need for the ordinary man, the cab driver, the hairdresser, the office clerk, the teacher, you didn't see the need for them to take excessively seriously the gospel. If they don't now, the church is going to last till the end of time, but from you know, a very limited perspective. The kingdom will not grow unless the laity bring the church to others. And St. Josemaria teaches that the only way you can spread the kingdom is that you be centered on Christ. You're a contemplative in the middle of the world. Contemplative means that you're always united to Christ. You're not just doing a couple of disjointed devotions. Abide in me and I in you. He says it, and St. Josemaria says, that's what's got to be the case. You are just as obligated for holiness as an archbishop. You know, just give a point of reference. Well, that was wild in the, in the olden days. And so this point in the way uh, was very revolutionary. Bear in mind, my son or daughter, that you're not just a soul who has joined other souls in order to do a good thing. That's a lot, but it's still little. You are the apostle carrying out an imperative command of Christ. And I'll finish with this. Do you remember night was falling as you and I began our prayer? From close by came the murmur of water, and through the stillness of the Castilian city, we could translate that to the Midwestern city, uh, we also seemed to hear voices of people from many lands crying to us in anguish that they do not yet know Christ. Ashamedly, you kissed your crucifix, and you asked him to make you an apostle of apostles. So this is very revolutionary when he wrote this in the 30s. Well, Lord, we want to uh, eke out another sentiment as we close our prayer. We want to be an apostle. We want to be instruments of spreading the gospel into the modern world in that little piece of the world that God has given me. And Mary, pray for us. 
that we do become contemplative, centered on Christ, because we want to have that faith that we are the church, meant to bring the church to others. We can't wait for people to come to the church. We have to be the church brought to others. And that's what the original meaning of the Mass has ended, was the early Christians were told, okay, now you receive the Eucharist, go out and bring the gospel to others. Mary, impress these sentiments in our minds and hearts. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.